0: felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long. They're too deep. They're too serious. They're too theological. And yeah, maybe they're too boring. (laughs) We're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Do you have a family burial plot? You know, a piece of land somewhere where your forefathers are buried and where perhaps someday you will be buried? Well, did you know that the first piece of land owned by God's people in the promised land, that's the land that God promised to his people on a special promise that they would possess all of that land, that the first piece of land that they owned in the promised land was a family burial plot, a cemetery. It's an amazing story, and that's what this Bible study episode is all about. So um does anyone want to, anyone want to guess where we're going to start today? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Acts, 7. <laughs> Acts chapter seven. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Genesis 23. Yeah, did you do your homework and read Genesis 23? Oh yeah. Yeah. right, yeah. excellent. That is so good. You do a teacher's heart good when you do your homework. Actually, we're going to spend most of our time in Genesis today, as it turns out, because There's this cool little thing that is just so neat, and I I want to share it with you today. So uh, it has to do with Abraham, which has to do with Genesis 23. That's our jumping off point. So let's start uh, as we begin today in Acts chapter 7, because this is the impetus for us to do what we're going to do for most of the class today. And that is Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin. Uh, after he was arrested for teaching and preaching Jesus uh, as Messiah to the Greek-speaking synagogues in Jerusalem. And we've been through that many times. Uh, Why did it happen? Uh, Chapter 7, verse 13, it says, they produced, these these guys from these Greek-speaking synagogues, they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow, Stephen, never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All a lie. They knew it was a lie when they said it. They conspired to to, uh, testify to this and to lie about it so that they could stop Stephen from doing what he was doing. So then we get into chapter 7, that was chapter 6. Chapter 7, uh, then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? And so this is where Stephen launches in to his defense of what he was doing. Uh, basically, we said before, it's was really a sermon. It's a chance for him to, as Peter did, when Peter got a chance to preach, he preached. And so that's what Stephen is doing. He's in front of the same Sanhedrin that Peter's appeared before, and now he is doing the same. So I'll just read this quickly and, and to, to give the context. He starts with this history, right, of the Jewish people. And he says, uh, to, to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. So this is this this verse I want to focus on just for a moment because this is when we're going to launch into Genesis uh, chapter 23. This is an important thing to remember. Verse five. He God gave him Abraham no inheritance in canaan in the promised land not even a foot of ground now god promised abraham a bunch of land he promised so much land that israel has never to this day even actually taken possession of all of it so god promised him a huge amount of land but What Stephen is saying here is, when Abraham arrived in Canaan, in the promised land, he had nothing, not even a foot of ground. So it says he gave him no inheritance there. What he's saying is, Abraham did not inherit, you inherit land. You inherit a lot of things sometimes. But one of the things you can inherit from your forefathers is land. Uh, Our daughter and her husband, they now live in a house in Bowling Green, Ohio, that belonged to his grandmother. And his grandmother's grandfather was like, kind of like a farm. They, they raised uh, trotter horses, you know, the horses that trot behind the thing. They raised trotter horses. And so when she, they, they, they paid off the land, they owned it, they owned it. And when she passed away, her grandson, my son-in-law, inherited that land. So one way you can get land is to inherit it. But what uh, Stephen is saying here is that Abraham did not inherit even a foot of ground. So that means that all of this land that God promised had to come to him through one of two ways. He either had to take it or he had to buy it. But when he got there, he had nothing. This makes even more incredible, this promise that God made to him uh, this incredible amount of land that he was going to possess when he had nothing to start with, nothing. Great. Uh, this, uh, this, uh, this is what this is. This is the original King James idea, but it makes it even more uh, implicit. He says, uh, this, this interpretation says, he gave him no inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on So it's not that he didn't have a foot of it, he wasn't even allowed to set foot on it. Yeah, he had nothing. He got there with nothing. So now you maybe understand, we talked about last week, right, where uh, Abraham had no problem believing that God was going to give him a son in his old age, but he had a problem believing that he was going to possess all of this land. Why? Because he got he had nothing when he got there. So that's, that's the point of that. Okay. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him, would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham, Abraham Abraham had no child. Verse 6, God spoke to him in this way, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. So God is telling him 200 years beforehand that Egypt was going to happen, before it actually happened. This is God prophesying him this is God telling him this is a sign that you will inherit all this land this is going to happen to your descendants 200 years later or so it did so verse 8 then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth later Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs verse 9 because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph They sold him as a slave into Egypt. That God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him, so God made Joseph ruler over Egypt and all his, all Pharaoh's palace. I don't want to take a lot of time on that, but I think we need to pause for a moment because Joseph was such a major. Person uh, in the Old Testament. And his story is absolutely incredible. I think if he were going to write, if I, if someone were going to, I think if Joseph were going to write an autobiography of his life, the title would be something like um, From Prisoner to Prime Minister. (laughs) I mean, here's a guy that was sold into slavery that was arrested in Egypt and put into prison. He has no hope, no prospects. I mean, he had hope, but I mean, if you were looking at him from the outside, you would say, here's a guy who has no hope. Here's a guy who has no prospects. This guy is, he's gonna be forgotten to history. And yet, through God's movement, he becomes prime minister of the entire nation of Egypt. I mean, how does that happen? It's happened in recent times with what's his name over there that was in prison in in, in South Africa. Oh, Mandela? Mandela had the same experience. This is a theme that we find happening over and over again in the Bible, too. Uh, So here we have Joseph from prisoner to prime minister. It's where, where God takes the lowly of the lowly and he lifts them up to places of incredible position that you look at and you say, well, this can only happen because God, because God is doing it. I mean, you know, you can look at uh, David, I mean, in the Old Testament, David was, I mean, when, when uh, Samuel went to find the next king after Saul, uh, David's own father, saw, thought so little of the prospect that David could possibly be the one. He didn't even call him in from the uh, from the pastures with the sheep. He just left him out there because he can't certainly David. And yet God lifted him up. Uh, you look at Peter, Peter, a fisherman, a manual laborer, a man who had probably the very modicum minimum of. Education of that day and age. I mean, he went to work with his father at a young age to help support the family. And yet, it's Peter where he started from. And you can even go with Moses. I mean, uh, Moses is out in the wilderness hiding from Pharaoh at the time. And, you know, and and Moses really shouldn't even have been, from a human standpoint, shouldn't even have been alive. He should have died along with all of those other male uh, Israelites who were at Egypt at the time. So he's a miracle baby, number one. And, and then God lifts him up from the bulrushes of the Nile River where he should have, human speak, humanly speaking, should have perished to become, you know, the the deliverer of his people from Egypt. I mean, how does that happen? You know, and then, you know, of course, Jesus is a great example to Jesus. Born in Bethlehem, a backwater, born in the poorest of the poor. Joseph again, a manual laborer who supported his family through being a carpenter. Who they didn't even have enough money when uh, Jesus was brought to the temple uh, to to give, uh, but two turtle doves, which was the offering of the poor. And he's from he's from Nazareth. What good thing can come from Nazareth? And and is Jesus? He could have he could have. Had Jesus born anywhere, anytime, any family, any place, and he chose the poorest of the poor, the backwater. Because why? Because this shows that God can lift up anyone. And 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 God, this is all God, God thing. And and also I think for us, an encouragement that if God can do it for these folks, you know, we can incredible things through them, it's God's thing, and we can tie in to God's thing. Arca what did god God can do miraculous right? kinds of wonderful things for us we may not part the Red sea but we might have a red sea in our life that needs parting right so okay so that's for joseph okay so verse uh, 11 it says then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan bringing great suffering to our, and our fathers could not find food When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was. And Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all. So at the beginning of the Israelites being in Egypt, there are 75 people. That's it. So... Verse 15, then Jacob went down to Egypt himself, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. So those of you who did your homework, you know, that's what Genesis 23 talks about. This tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. So let's jump off. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 23, and let's look at what's going on here. So let's start with Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Now, She's the only woman in the Bible whose age is given to us when she dies. So that shows you the honor that was due Sarah, the way they thought about her, the kind of person that she was, that she's the one woman who we know how old she was when she passed away. Uh, 127 years old means that... uh, Abraham was 137 years old at this time because he's 10 years older than her. So, uh, and and she was 90 when uh, Isaac was born. So, at this point, if she's 127 and he was 90, that would make him 37. Thank you, math maker. I was an English maker, so help me. So, thank you. So, yeah, so he was, so at this point, Isaac is 37, Abraham is 137, Sarah is 127. She dies. Verse 2, she died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Is there anything about that verse that you... That seems a little off to you. Is there anything about that verse that seems a little off to you? Verse two. Well, I'm not sure, but it's like Abraham went to mourn for Sarah. Why was he away from where was he? exact you know? <laughs> Mundo. She died in Hebron, the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for her and to weep over her went to mourn for her. Well, went in to mourn for her. Well, now, that is a translation that really isn't accurate. Oh, all right. Some Bibles say went in, and that's because they're trying to avoid this whole issue. Oh, okay. Because if he went into her, that means he was there, he just was, he yeah. was, he really was happened. like in the waiting room of the hospital, yeah, okay. right? And he just went into her room. But that is not the way the original language is written. The original language is that he went, he, he went, he, he he went somewhere to, to where she was. He wasn't with her at the time she died. Maybe been sick for a time. Don't know. Don't know. So where was he? And why wasn't he with her? Well, let's go back to Genesis 20, verse 1. Now, Abraham moved on from there, moved on from where? This uh, is after Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? So he moves on from that land after he and Lot split up. He moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. So remember, I don't know if you remember, but this was a time when Abraham was going into this land of the Philistines and he was afraid because Sarah was beautiful that the Philistines would desire her. And if they knew that he was her husband, they would kill him so they could take Sarah for their own. So he said in basically in what he felt was self-defense, I'm going to lie and I'm going to say that she's my sister, not my wife. What that To take her even more? Well, look, verse three, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. So, Abimelech found early on that it, But the point of this is to show you that uh, he is in this land of Gerar, and the king of Gerar is Abimelech. Okay, now go over to chapter 21. Verse 22, 21, 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. He's been living there now for a while in that area, with Abimelech as the king of that area. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same, kind, uh, same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Verse 25, then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. So Abraham had dug this well because he would need it for him and his people. And Abimelech's men had taken it and seized it. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. I don't know anything about this. You did not tell me. And I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? Verse 30. Abraham replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Beersheba means basically the well of the oath. Okay. 32. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Verse 34. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So he's in Beersheba at the end of verse 21. At the beginning of verse 23, Sarah is in Hebron. And Abram has to come to her, to go to her when she dies. So at the end of verse 21, he's in Beersheba. At the beginning of verse 23, she's in Hebron. We don't know where he is, but I'm thinking he's still in Beersheba. So what happened between the end of verse 21 and the beginning of 23 that would have them in two different places but she, she comes back to him after that though she comes back to him she comes back to him as his wife they're together and they're together uh, yeah so at, in verse 16 to verse 20 Abimelech says so sarah i'm giving you your brother a thousand shekels of silver this is to cover the offense against you I believe all we're with you are completely vindicated. So uh she, he he she gives he gives Sarah back to Abraham. Okay. So at the end of verse, the end of chapter 21, he's in Beersheba, assuming she's with him at that point, at the end of chapter 21. He's in Beersheba, we assume she's with him. But at the beginning of verse 20 of chapter 23, she's in Hebron, and he's I'm I'm saying I think he's, he's still in Beersheba. Because I think verse 2 there makes it clear that he was not with her when she died, and he came to to her, Uh, he went to her once she died, from Beersheba to Hebrew. It's not a long distance, okay? It's a distance of like 25 miles, okay? It's not a long way between It's not like he's in California and she's in New York, It's not like that. They're relatively close, but they're not together, apparently. So what happened? Okay, what happened... It's chapter twenty-two. What happened? Is chapter twenty-two. What happened in chapter twenty-two? Abram is called. Oh, No, so Isaac. Isaac. Abraham is Isaac. 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 Isaac, Isaac. 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 Yeah. You I mean he never went back? He never went back. Him and he him. Who? Uh, who Abraham? Abraham? No, look at look at the uh, look at uh, twenty-two verse uh, nineteen. Twenty-two verse nineteen. Then Abraham returned to his service and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Ladies, let me just ask you. Okay, let's start. Verse 20, Chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, "Here," and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac. Whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and sat on his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his own son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set off to the place God had told him about. No. Bev, tell me more. No. <laughs> Take me. As a mom, Now you're getting it. Now you're seeing it. Exactly. Take me, but not my son. Yeah. But God told him to do it. Right. (laughs) But maybe he's learned his lesson. Okay. So at this point, he's already had, he's already taken his father when he wasn't supposed to, created a delay. He took a lot when he wasn't supposed to. Created a distraction. He's already convinced the king that his wife is his sister, which didn't work out well for anybody. And so now, maybe he had by... He child with, with Hagar. Yeah, okay, th- there you go. You know, he's doing all this. Right, he's he's had... Okay. When, he, when he was told clearly that he was Sarah going to have a child, he, he had another child with, with Hagar. And so uh, now maybe finally at this point he decided I want to do this one really I'm want to do this one it hasn't worked out for me to like do my own thing but I mean just picture in for a moment in your mind we don't have Sarah anywhere and this may not have even happened this is my imagination God tells him this is what you got to do you gotta leave early the next morning to go now he has to give some explanation to Sarah doesn't he he can't just wake up in the morning and take off. And no, I mean, take he can, Isaac. He can give her the same explanation he gave Isaac. He yeah. Had to go up to, to sacrifice yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. I'm sure he said. Yeah. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm gonna kill Isaac. Honey, deer. <laughs> um. I You guys ever watch the honeymooners? I love the honeymooners. It's on every Sunday night at midnight. I stay up to watch <laughs> it. It's on me TV. It's it's, a, it's the best hour of television the whole week. Eleven thirty is the Dick Van Dyke rerun, and twelve o'clock is the honeymoon's rerun. So that's my favorite hour of the week in TV. But you know, Ralph Cramden, he's always he's always conniving and something behind his back his wife's back, right? And but eventually he has to fess up.
1: And I love the way, you
0: know, he he you know, honey, you know, and I just see like this is Moses and he reminds me of Ralph Cramden, you know, explaining to his wife. Okay, hon, this is what God told me to do. I'm gonna take Isaac in the morning, and we're gonna travel to this land. God told me, and I'm gonna sacrifice him. And we just have to trust God that it's gonna work out. I trust God that it's gonna work out, so I need you to trust God too that it's gonna work out. I don't think she was on board. What year was this? coming? Uh, I, I should know that, but I don't know. I, I mean, he, Isaac wasn't that old. He might have been 10, uh, or 10 um, or 14. I think Isaac was long, was older than we might think. Um uh, here's a, Well, just as, a, as an assign to that, I, I think sometimes we have a feeling that Abraham forced Isaac onto that uh, sacrificial sacrificial place. yeah. That he like overpowered him and forced him? I don't think so. I think for one, Moses, I mean Moses, Abraham was very old. I think Isaac was older than, than we sometimes think. And I think when Abraham said to Isaac, this is what God wants us to do, Isaac said okay, i'm willing to do it and i think isaac voluntarily laid himself down on that sacrificial place then he voluntarily laid himself down and the reason i, I like that idea talking about the poetry of god fast forward to jesus laying himself down on the cross jesus was not forced onto the cross the soldiers did not wrestle him onto the cross Jesus willingly laid himself down on the cross. So here we have Isaac kind of the an example a pattern or example that Isaac laid himself down as the sacrifice, just as Jesus laid himself down on the cross as our sacrifice. But in here, this translation here, he said, uh, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He found himself. Yeah, but I still think it was voluntary. Voluntary. I think I think I think he wanted to make sure I mean just about I think he just bound him just to make sure at the very last minute he wouldn't you know he wouldn't give in. Oh I but I'm thinking he thirty. I think about well here when she dies he's thirty seven. And that's the very first there's that's the chapter that immediately precedes her death. So very possibly he could have been in his 30s at this point. Very so possibly. Then he would be old enough to make that decision. Right. Well, sure. Or even if he was just a a, a, teen, a, a teenager. Either. But he never went back either to yeah, he was No, with right. Father, so as far as we know, he stayed with his father. apparently. Yeah. 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 He, he He's not mentioned to being there either at the time. Okay, so, I think it was something like this. Right. Well, yeah. With people living so long, like 37, yeah. mm-hmm. right. 37 got called The boy. Right. (laughs) Exactly. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? (laughs) So I think the conversation was something like this. I'm going to have to do this. And Sarah says something to the effect of if you walk out of here in the morning with Isaac, when you come back, I'm not going to be here. don't come back. So, but he was faithful and he took Isaac and he, he believed God if you look in verse um, four, on the third day, on the third day, there's three days down, three days back. That gives her six days to go somewhere else. And I think she did. I think she was not on board with this. And I think she did not want to be there when they went. She didn't know that Isaac was coming back. I mean, if you just hear that I'm going to sacrifice him, she's thinking he's going to die. And she wants nothing to do with Abraham. <laughs> now, not that she hated him. She, but, but so I think what happened is they just have you ever had a time when you like didn't speak to your husband? No. Or didn't speak to your wife. <laughs> Me either. I've never, yeah, I've never done that. I've never done that. I've never done that. But but I think it was just that kind of a thing. It's like, I just can't be near you right now. I just can't be. Where you are right now. I mean, you know, it wasn't that they hated each other, divorced between none of that kind of stuff. I think mean, they still loved each other, but there was just this kind of rift between them at this point. Where was she living at this point? Hebron. Okay, let's go on. We have spent enough time on that. I don't want to. We're out. We're out of time. I don't. I don't want to miss. This. There's a lot more to go. I say. So then, verse three. Then Abraham rose from his bed, from beside his dead wife, and spoke to the Hittites. He said. I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him, and that's at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. So see what they what they offered him was one of their own tombs, but what he purchased was a cave in a land that was not a tomb. Okay, this was not a burial place yet. He says I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a burial site, uh, but it's not previously that it was not a burial site. So verse 10. Ephraim the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. He didn't want to borrow the land. He wanted to buy the land. And one of the reasons that is when you borrow the land, someone else is con- in control of that land, right? And who knows what's going to happen on down the road. So, no, I want to buy the land because I want it to be mine. And I want, I want no one else to have control over it. Okay, so verse 12. Uh, so verse 14. Ephraim answered Abraham, "Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. Silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead now. There's no way that that land was worth four hundred shekels of silver. No possible way. That was an exorbitant amount of money. It might have been worth half of that, possibly. But Ephraim is thinking, we got to have a negoti. We're going to have a negotiation here." And when you have a negotiation with someone, you start high. Because you know you're going to have to come down. This is exactly the way they still negotiate. I was say they still Yeah, the <laughs> yeah this is exactly the way and It's they, expected. They still have the same thing. Uh, you know, oh, oh, you don't have to pay me anything, blah, blah. I still do exactly the same thing. And then they eventually come through, right? Right. So he, so Ephron is starting like twice as high, thinking if I get him down to half, I still, I still get one it's worth. So he, he's expecting there to be this negotiation. So verse 16, Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight of the current among the merchants. He said, I'm not going to You want? That's what I'm going to give to you because. In the negotiate when you negotiate someone at some point you can get to the point where you say the guy was gonna say forget it i'm not gonna sell it at all yeah. but if he says 400 and even though it's twice as much at least that it should be and you meet his price it's done it's a done deal and i'm sure Efren was okay with that he was really getting a good good deal here <laughs> well, were he was probably saying i really took him <laughs> <laughs> So, verse 17, So Ephron's field in Mechilah, near all the trees within the borders of the field, remember that, all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave, in the field of Mechilah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Now, we don't have time, so we're going to have to really rush through this. Let's go to chapter 25 in Genesis, verse uh, 7. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. That means he lived 38 years longer. After Sarah died, he lived another 38 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a, at a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him where? In the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephraim, son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. So now Sarah is buried there, and Abraham is buried there. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35, 35, Verse 27, 35-27. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. So apparently uh, it says where, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. So apparently after they buried Sarah, Abraham and Isaac stayed in Hebron. They did not go back to Beersheba. They stayed in Hebron, maybe because the reason is that they stayed in Hebron is because now they owned a piece of land there. They now owned a piece of In burying Sarah, he bought a piece of land. So now he owns a piece of land. So now, after they buried Sarah, Abraham and Isaac stayed there in Hebron. Verse 28, Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and uh, died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Well, where do you think they buried him? Where well, he died in Hebron, didn't he? He died where the cave is, right? So one, you have to assume he buried him in that same cave, don't you? Well, we get the answer. Move over to Genesis 49. Genesis 49 and verse... Hold on. 49. Verse 49. Chapter 49. Okay. Verse 29. My heading says, The death of Jacob. Then Jacob gave them these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, uh, in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephraim the Hittite, along with the field. There, Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried. There, Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. Remember Leah? That was uh, Jacob's first wife before Rachel, that Laban tricked him into marrying. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. And then if you look over, let's just skip over to verse 12 of chapter 50. Verse 12 of chapter 50. So Jacob's sons did as he commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephraim the Hittite, along with the field. After bringing his father Joseph, after bringing his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with them to bury his father. So why? was this particular spot important to Abraham to to purchase? Why, of all the places that he could have picked, of all the landmarks he could have chosen, of all the land he could have desired to buy, why that one? Why that particular foot of land, that particular footprint of land? Why, why, why? Well, maybe here's the answer. Look back at Genesis chapter 20. Yeah. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the. Re- oh no, no, I'm sorry, that's not what... I- oh, oh, I'll be fine. that's not the place. Uh, 13. Genesis 13. Genesis 13. There we go. Genesis 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him. Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Verse 18. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees. Remember we had trees? Of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So when they first came into the land and God told him to walk throughout, he and Sarah, they walked throughout and they found this special, I don't know, special spot where these wonderful trees, this wonderful scenic, must have been a scenic beautiful, the great trees of Mamre at Hebron. This was a special spot for he and Sarah. And so much so that he built an altar to the Lord there. So when she dies in Hebron, he's built this altar out in near Mamrie, where these trees are. And apparently there's a cave there. And this is apparently a special, sentimental place. Of all the places, of all the places he'd been, all the places he saw, this was a special place for he and Sarah. And so when it came time to bury her, he wanted to bury her in that place. Because when he would go to visit the cave, or whatever they did back then, it was he, he could just go there, and just being in that place will remind him of Sarah and the love they have for her. We know where that is now. Is that a- yeah, this this yeah. a yeah it's a well known place. As a matter of fact, the burial place is uh actually like a, it's a Muslim Muslim yeah, temple now. Sure. There. Not yet, so anymore, but. The last point I want to make to this is we talked about yeah, God using the lowest of the low. Joseph, the prisoner, Peter the fisherman. Moses, the miracle baby. Think about this for a minute. God promised Abraham and his descendants this promised land of miles and miles and miles of land. But the first place, the first place that they actually own, that God's people actually own, the first place. Is a cemetery. It's a cemetery. I mean, it's a pl- it's a graveyard. It's a place that's been made into a family burial place. I mean, I'm just thinking of this. Of all the places that God could have given Abraham and his people to be their first thing, their first thing they actually possessed in the promise. Of all the things that it could have been, it ended up being. A graveyard, and so just think: from this graveyard comes Israel in the Promised Land. I mean, is that incredible? How is that possible? It's possible because it's God's plan, right? It's interesting though, because when you read it, when you first go there, you think, "Oh, this this is very open space," but in Hebron. Is it became a kind of city there. I mean, in, in, the, in the length of time that, that, that Abraham lived, when he goes back there to buy it, yeah. so he already owns it. I mean, people have inhabited it. I think that land, uh, as we've seen from David, he's shown pictures many times. There's a great variety of topography there. Yeah. You know, there's mountains, there's plains, there's there's a lot of diversification in the way the land is. And uh, but I, I just I just find it so interesting that. The promised land for the promised people of God started in a graveyard. Yeah. But look what God did. in Canaan? Yes. I'm confused. People say Abraham never had a land. When he first got there. When he first arrived, he had nothing. When he first walked into that land, he didn't own a thing. But he did eventually. And, and the reason, another reason he... Probably so insistent on buying it because he knew what God had promised. He knew God had promised this would be his land and he wanted a foothold in this land. God hadn't given him any of that land yet, but he knew that God would give it to him and he wanted a place of his own before he died. At this point, he's 137, you know, or, uh, or even older. He's 137 when he buys that land. So he's got to think, how much time do I have left? You know. So I want this piece of land before I die. I want to know when I die that I've at least got a foothold, a toehold in this land. Dennis, did you want to say something real quick? Oh, I was just getting uh, in chapter 23, Charles Stanley's favorite chapter. Oh, yeah? It's chapter 23. Uh, probably not, but three times, <laughs> three times, three times, three times in Texas, listen, <laughs> exactly what Charles Stanley does. I love when he does yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, this was important. I, do it, I don't I do want to do it your way. I want to do it God's way. You know? Yes, Chuck. I was a, a little phrase there it sort of popped out at me and I thought, what does that mean? said, like I want to bury people out of sight. And then when I looked at other versions it said properly or Exactly. So, mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and in that day, although Egypt had the practice of embalming, the Israelites did not have that. And so they had to bury someone soon after death because it was for, for obvious reasons. So still true today. Yeah, I think it's still true today. Yeah. Doris? I guess I did really need to so for forty years if he was hundred and thirty seven when he bought the land. What when, were they just able to float around? I mean how did they the I think he and uh, he and Isaac lived in that area for thirty eight years after she died. Without no they own he bought the land when she died. Well I know that. Yeah, but they didn't buy the any other that's land. Important. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I don't think so. I think they were just wonder, you know, they just, they were living on the land. Well, they they didn't own the land. It was a field with a cave in it. Yeah, well, it, it was a field, had trees, and had 20 at 20 20 20 a cave, and so forth. Right. How old was he when he died? He was 185 or something. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, he may have bought some other land between then and now, between that and that, but that was his first, that was his first piece of land that he owned. Before that he didn't own it, no. Before that he was just Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people who owned the land were just allowing him to do that. Yeah. So I mean because most of it was under Abimelech, and Abimelech was a friend of his. Yeah. So he allowed that to happen. So.
1: Okay, boys and girls, that's
0: all I have today. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today, and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.